So what's happening is some of the marketing departments you know, that are focused too much on leads, too much on demand generation, are starting to become less relevant. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. To sign up for the upcoming Flip My Funnel conference this August in Boston, visit flipmyfunnel.com and use promo code PODCAST for special pricing. This podcast is supported by LinkedIn, Marketo, Terminus, PFL, and Brightfunnel. So just to get started, um, how many of you have heard of Acton? Anybody know Acton Software? Great. So we've got, we've got a couple of my buddies from work. Jabron's back there. I don't see Jason and some of the other guys, but they, there's Jason. Where's Chris? Um, they made the trip out from the West Coast, so it's great to have you guys here as well. So um, I won't do an introduction about Acton because it sounds like most of you uh, know of the company. We're uh, a marketing automation platform, and we've got an ABM product as well, and combined uh, we're really excited to talk about some of the ABM uh, topics today. So I've divided the presentation into three categories. The first part I'm going to call it the provocative part, like just coming up with some controversial comments. Two is I'm going to talk a little bit about the ABM journey of how we've done it, how some of our customers have done it, and what we've seen from other marketers. And it's really around kind of going back to old school marketing. And the third piece, one of our customers, Sheer ID, they have a really great case study on how they're starting to use uh, account-based marketing. They could not make the trip out from Portland, Oregon because of some of the challenges with like the Delta flights. But I'm going to talk about his section. It's a really cool section. So I'll start with uh, this notion of us as B2B marketers uh, taking, a, taking some of the best practices and almost emulating what B2C marketing had been doing five or six years ago. And one of those areas I think that we've learned from B2B marketers, or as B2B marketers, what we've learned from B2C marketers is this the notion of how do you build a great brand? How do you build an emotional connection? That's been a great lesson. And I think you see that infused into a lot of B2B um, strategies and a lot of marketing programs today. The other part that B2B marketers borrowed from B2C marketers was just the acquisition model. How do you drive acquisition? If you think about it, the B2C model, you're selling to one person, conversions are very quick, measurements relatively straightforward. So I think as B2B marketers, we emulated those two parts of B2B marketing or B2C marketing. The problem is B2B marketing is just different, right? We market to, we sell to accounts. We don't necessarily market to, we do market to leads individually, but it's really about the account. You win and lose accounts, you don't win and lose leads. And for a lot of marketing departments, here's the provocative part. So you hear all these conversations taking place where the CMO has a larger budget than the CTO. The CMO is now becoming kind of the heir apparent to the CEO. They're taking on a more strategic role in the company. Yet the problem is too many marketing departments are singularly focused on the acquisition side of marketing or the demand generation side of marketing. And that's important. Let's face it. Like we're not like the guys in the room, like, you know, we we live and breathe by demand generation, but it, but you have to build a great brand. You have to build a great customer experience. So what's happening is some of the marketing departments, you know, that are focused too much on leads, too much on demand generation are starting to become less relevant. And what they're not thinking about is something like account-based marketing that not only helps you improve uh, the performance and efficiency of your demand generation, but you can use account-based marketing to help build brand with multiple people at the top of the funnel. And equally important, by doing effective account-based marketing, 
you can also make sure that the people that you're acquiring are your right customers. Those customers ultimately become successful as they onboard and they are customers for life rather than you getting into a model where you're kind of just churn and burn. And I think the other part that's interesting, you know, I kind of talked about this a second ago, you know, this notion that our lead's dead. Uh, absolutely not. Like, I, I don't want to go back to, right, Tom Cameron, our CRO, and just say like, yeah, we're not going to generate leads anymore starting tomorrow. I think that would not go very well. Just, that would just be my take if you said that to a CRO. But I think as a marketing organization and a marketing department, if you are just measured on leads and all you're thinking about are leads, you do fulfill this sort of notion that you're becoming less relevant in the company and you're almost becoming a demand generation function. And then the question becomes, who's really responsible in thinking about the entire customer experience? Who's making sure that you have great customers and satisfied customers? The other part that I, I always talk about is in account-based marketing, it forces us as marketers to talk less about leads and to talk more about counts. And when you start talking about accounts, you're talking the language of your peers in the, on the team. So Tom doesn't talk about winning or losing leads. He talks about winning accounts. Kate, our CFO, she wants to know if our customers are satisfied, they're happy. Do we lose a customer or not? She's not necessarily interested in the number of leads or whether we won or lost the leads. And Matt Zellen, who runs our success team, he's in the same boat. He's never come to us and said, hey, I've lost a lead. We've lost a customer, right? And I think if you, if you start to think about account-based marketing, not only will you start to have better conversation with your peers uh, in the, in, across the company. I think number two, in addition to being more aligned to their goals, I think number two is you start to elevate the profile of marketing because you're thinking about just not bringing customers in, but you're thinking how to build a healthy, sustainable, long-term brand. And you're also thinking about making sure that the customers you bring in are very, very successful. So that's why uh, we really like account-based marketing because I think marketing marketers, despite all of this additional budget and additional responsibility, is at an interesting crossroads. And that crossroads is whether they're going to be focused on very finite, specific measures around demand generation and leads, or are they going to really own the entire customer experience and all the touch points? And if you're a marketing organization or if you're a CMO, if you don't own the collection of the touch points, then you can't ultimately own the brand. And that's really what the marketing organization needs to be owning. And account-based marketing makes it more simple. So I talked a little bit about putting the B back into B2B marketing, just making sure that we as B2B marketers, sure we can borrow from B2C, some of those best practices, but at the end of the day, B2B is just fundamentally different. So the second topic that we want to talk about, and this is in more of the how-to, is how do you put the B, so like kind of getting back to basics. And the question that I think is really interesting, if you ask marketers what their target market is, uh, and I've made this mistake too. I think we've all made it as marketers. You get some pretty interesting uh, answers. So you say, well, who's your target market? And people say B2B or SMBs or enterprise. That's nice, but that's pretty broad, right? And I think in order to be successful in account-based marketing, and I would argue to be successful in any kind of marketing that you're doing, you really need to understand your go-to-market strategy and you need to understand who you're targeting and your target market is. I think a lot of this is actually, I don't know if you guys agree, but it feels like this is a product marketing in, 
in some ways, like the pro- a good product marketer will drive some of this. And sometimes I feel like product marketing is a lost art in an organization where the product marketer ends up becoming the data sheet monkey, right? They're producing a lot of data sheets but some of them are quite strategic. And if they're strategic and they're doing a great job, they're kind of refining this target. And so we had gone through a similar exercise at Acton where we had to redefine and make sure we knew who our target market was. And we started in that same spot. We said, hey, we target, S- you know, the sales team, the guys here are kind of nodding their heads that have been around for a while. We used to say, hey, yeah, we target SMBs, right? But what kind of SMBs? And we got very specific. We said employees between 25 and 1,000 employees, they have a CRM, specifically if they have Microsoft Dynamics, if they have Sugar CRM, if they have Salesforce, and they have certain Alexa rankings and their email size is X, that's a good prospect for us. And we continue to refine that over time. We continue to revisit it because every so often, you know, the market changes, there's different dynamics in the market, customer preferences change. So we're constantly updating that. The second question that we needed to answer was, how do we get into the consideration set and why do we win? And so we were talking with... uh, an analyst, I think it was in January, and they said one of the biggest challenges they see from marketing tech companies and you know software companies is that they always have a list of people that could be in the top five or top six in the consideration set, right? So you're looking at certain types of maybe predictive analytics or predictive data. They can always tell you the top five or six, but it's really hard for analysts to talk about the top, why you should be in the like top one or two. So that gets down to this question of, why will you win? Why are you different? And if somebody's looking for a solution, why would you be their top one or two? And that starts to get to your value prop and everything else. I think that's the second most important piece after you've defined your target market. And then the third thing that you need to be thinking about is now that you've got your target market, how do you really build out a detailed profile, customer profile? So one of the things that we did was when we got sort of this notion of an ideal customer profile when I talked about employee size and email lists and CRM and all this other stuff, what we did is we went into our health scores and we took 10 customers that fit the ideal profile. And we said, and that that had a really, really good health score, meaning they were going to renew, they were great customers. And we took 10 that were an ideal customer profile and those had a poor health score. And we kind of compared and contrast because we're saying, if we've picked this ideal customer profile and they're not being successful with our company and our product, what's the problem, right? And it was fascinating. So of the 10 that we picked and we picked them randomly, seven out of the 10 were almost entirely due to us as a company marketing to a single individual. So we would market to one person They didn't have anybody else in the buying process. They signed the contract. We sold the deal. And all of a sudden they come in and they say, well, gosh, I didn't know I needed IT. My boss now wants me to justify this. And we ran into all of these issues, both change management within the company, but also just the skill level of that person may or may not have been the right fit to actually implement our product and use it. So our big lesson was we got the right customer type of company rather, but what we need to be doing is a better job of marketing to all the people that are involved in the decision-making process. And we always use this example internally where if you were selling a product, a software product into our company, you would probably need to talk to five or six different people just because we all have different expectations and different needs. So I think that's why the ideal customer profile is really interesting. The other thing we did is we took 10 com- companies that were not in our ideal customer profile that were healthy and unhealthy, and we did a similar analysis, and we came up with some equally interesting 
interesting insights about that as well. So I think this is all about the, this is all about making sure you've really got a rock solid go-to-market strategy before you build your account-based marketing program. And then the last piece is just who's the buyer, who's the influencers. I think that makes a lot of sense. We're getting down to buyer personas. What makes people buy? What are their pain points? How do you talk to a CMO versus the junior analyst on the team? All of those talking points will be just slightly different. So maybe this is, maybe I mis, misrepresented my outline a couple minutes ago. I guess this was one of those provocative statements, right? So one of the things that we started seeing a couple months ago was, it was longer than that, but I think everybody was talking about account-based marketing, right? And there was a lot of questions around, is account-based marketing all hype, like social or big data or predictive analytics, or is it a real legitimate marketing practice, right? So we went out and surveyed, um, several hundred marketers, and we said, what do you think about account-based marketing? And the, fun, the funny thing is only like 3% of the people said it was all hype, and I have a feeling those people would say everything is all hype, so it, it, it doesn't seem to indicate that people think it's hype. I think tw- 25% of the folks said, yeah, this is a real solution, it's really important for us, and then we got a lot of confusion, and I think that's probably, everybody can agree, like people didn't know what it was, they weren't sure, but when you talk to people, and you ask them how they're conducting marketing today, a lot of people who were confused were actually people that were practicing some form of account-based marketing. They just didn't call it that, right? So I think the general theme is that account-based marketing is legitimate. It is getting a lot of hype. It's getting a lot of coverage, but it's really, really important. So the second question that we wanted to ask around this this survey was, can you measure the success of account-based marketing? And that led us to a bigger question around, in marketing, we as marketers are very susceptible to shiny objects, right? Anytime there's something cool and new, we want to run to it. It was inbound marketing. It's this, it's this technology, it's predictive. We as marketers love to go to the new things. And I think that makes us a successful marketer sometimes. But we were trying to figure out, is there one single metric that you could use that really measures the success of your marketing department, just not on demand generation, but how you're driving a great customer experience? And then more specifically, is there a measure of success for account-based marketing? And one of the metrics that we started using internally and we started talking about because we've heard a lot of, a lot of other folks talk about it is customer lifetime value, which is if you, if you bring a customer in, what's the expected lifetime value of that customer over the cost of acquiring that customer. And in a good, healthy business, if you get a ratio of three or higher, that means you're doing a really good job. And why we like this metric is because it starts to get to a more balanced approach to marketing and marketing is taking a much more strategic view of the company. Because if you think about what impacts this number, number one, we talked about better targeting. So if you know your target market and you know the customers that you're going after, arguably your cost of acquisition should be a lot less, right? So that helps you on the denominator. If you're acquiring similar sets of customers with similar pain points that are relatively in the same kind of ecosystem or type of company, the onboarding experience, the selling experience, all the experiences from touch point one to all the way to becoming a customer and then into renewal and upsell and cross-sell should be consistent and better. The third thing that we love about account-based marketing is if you're bringing in the right types of companies, um, they probably have a similar need in terms of product. So the product development can be more focused and more strategic. So how many of you have a 
customer that pays you the most money or a customer that has the loudest voice that has a disproportionate impact on your product roadmap. We've all got that, right? And we've all been guilty of that before where your biggest customer yells and complains and suddenly you find yourself innovating for tomorrow's customers and all your existing customers you're not doing much for, right? And I think one of the great things is you'll never get away from that, but I think you can be a lot more focused in your product development if you have similar type companies. And then lastly, um, you by you can impact the numerator by increasing your upsell and cross-sell opportunities as well. So this is a metric that we love for account-based marketing. And we also love it for the new breed of marketing departments that are more strategic and almost leading the corporate strategy because it encompasses everything from product development to pre-sales to post-sales. It's the whole customer life cycle. And that's what we'd love to see marketers own. So what I'm going to do is talk about Sheer ID. Do you, does everybody know who Sheer, have, have you heard of Sheer ID? Okay, so I'll, I'll do a little bit of a plug. They're a company based in Portland, Oregon. That's where um, Acton and that's where I'm located. And they focus on selling a va validation or a verification pro uh, product to companies that want to offer incentives to certain types of folks. So they might offer discounts to the military or they might offer discounts to students, and they validate that the person that's coming in is actually a military, a veteran, or a student. And their target is companies in the Fortune 500 and companies that have a real, actually the internet retailer 500. So anybody who has a significant online re retail presence. So think about any top online retailer, think about Spotify as, as an example. So they go after these customers. And one of the things that was really interesting about Cheer ID, we, I met with their CMO about nine months ago, and they were spending a lot of money on inbound marketing. They were spending a lot of money on paid search. But what they realized is that they could get a full list of all of their prospects, and they, and they could actually go and target them, but they didn't have alignment across sales and marketing. So C, they brought a new CRO in and immediately started talking about account-based marketing. And so number one, they started to develop a shared vision, a shared language. Uh, they agreed on that, you know, things like we're not going to get a lot of inbound leads that may or, not be, may or may not be part of our target market, but we're going to get a list of companies and the targets, and we're going to systematically go after them. So that was a bonus. Number two is um, they realized that the way their customers buy is with in, in a group consensus team environment. So one person doesn't make the purchase, it's often 10 to 12 people, right? So they needed to move towards a model where they can get more and more people involved in the decision-making process. And then the last point, which I think is really important, which I talked about before, they know who their target audience is, they knew who they should be going after, and they wanted to eliminate all the extra time the sales team was spent prospecting on leads and prospecting in the companies that didn't make a good fit. So they knew they needed to go to account-based marketing. And so what they started to do was transitional rather than sort of like a black and white start, like on Q2, we're moving to account-based marketing. They started to transition. So one of the things that they started doing was ramping down all of their inbound paid acquisitions, and they started deploying more money to things like using Datanize, using Discover Org, um, doing more events, field marketing events. My 20 minutes are up, so... I'm almost, I'm almost done. Um, so they started spending more time um, focused on, you know, kind of making this transition. Uh, this, and that's part of this model, like moving from what was traditional to where they wanted to go. 
Um, I talked a little bit about customer data, making sure that of those companies that they were targeting, they had full details about who the buyers were, who the prospects were, um, using things like Discover.org and Datanize was very, very helpful for them. The fourth piece, which was really, really interesting, was once they determined who the buyers were in the buying process, they needed to figure out, do they have the right content to speak to those different folks? And in some cases they did, in a lot of cases they had some gaps, right? And what they had been doing was using content that might've been applicable for certain groups or certain personas and they were applying it to other personas and it wasn't very helpful. So the biggest thing that they did was focus on making sure they closed the content gaps for the people that they were targeting to. And then lastly, that kind of led into the integration between marketing automation and CRM. And the one really interesting piece about Sheer ID, and I'll, I'll, I, I think this is kind of consistent, um, what I was just talking about. But I think the one piece that was very interesting is because there were two metrics they wanted to look at in the very near term. Number one, they wanted to see if their email open rates were improving because they realized they had some massive gaps in their content and they were marketing to people that they normally would not have marketed to in the past. And what they saw when they introduced the new content on average for these new personas and these new automated programs they built, they saw a 240% increase in their open rates. And they knew then that that was golden. Now, some of the personas that they had a little bit lower, a couple were a little bit higher, but they had nailed the engagement and they knew who they were talking to and they knew that they were onto something really important. The other thing that they measured was velocity because what they had realized very early on is that their sales team was spending a lot of time talking to prospects and companies that weren't good customers for theirs. And they were spending more of their time prospecting instead of selling. So one of the things that they wanted to do was start to measure how they move people through the different sales funnels. And the speed in which they were moving people through the sales funnel increased when it was one of their accounts that they had targeted. And so speed of business became really important and sales velocity. So one of their big challenges before was because they were kind of scattered and going all all over the place, the team was spending a lot of time on prospecting, not as much time on selling, and the sales velocity was decreasing. So they started to see an increase in an uptick in sales velocity, which was good for their business, which meant they can close some of these deals more quickly. So that's the that's a little bit about Sheer ID. They're in, so what is it, August? They're in about eight months on this. I think if they were here telling you they're probably about 50 or 60% of the way on their transition, but they're making really good progress. They love where they're going. And I think one of the things that they talk about is simplicity. And they say, by having a list of companies that you can go to, not only do you feel empowered to go after them, but they said the more important thing is you feel empowered to say no, right? And you can go to people and say, you can go to the, in these meetings internally and say, here's a company that we have. I don't think it's a good fit. And everybody feels comfortable saying no. And sometimes a powerful no is actually better than a powerful yes, where you feel liberated because you know you don't have to go after them. And it just drives really incredible focus in the company. Flip My Funnel is on a mission to build the largest and most engaged community of B2B professionals in the world. Join the movement at flipmyfunnel.com. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.